0: Whatever y'all did on the back-to-back in
1: L.A., don't do it tonight. That team wasn't better than us. Be ready.
0: It's easy. What you mean?
1: Because I kind of had it going.
0: Give me a chance to be great. I want to be great.
1: Some people call those winning characteristics. A group of hungry individuals. It ain't sweet. He can do everything. He's just nice. You trying to put the league on notice. because we got more to do so hello welcome to the wolves watch podcast i am dan radke and i'm joined as always by ricky Bruno. rick how are, you, how are you this evening
0: good I, I i would say i was uh cooking food literally three minutes ago <laughs>
1: <laughs> coming right into it really
0: hot. really coming down to the wire there i'm sitting there like looking at the clock like uh uh but just just made it
1: No, good. It's good to have you, man. I'm glad we're doing this episode. So it is the 28th of September. It is Wednesday night, 9.15 Central Time. We are back for the sixth and final installment of the uh, Divisional Over-Unders. We've been doing this now for the better part of two or three weeks. Um, We've kind of been bouncing back and forth between the East and the Western Conference. And tonight, this is a big one for us. Uh, This is the Wolves Watch in preparation for the season. Most of our episodes have covered league-wide stuff. Because there just isn't enough uh, content really to cover the Wolves specifically for preseason pods. And Rick and I watch a lot of games that aren't Timberwolves games. So we like to cover, you know, league-wide stuff when we approach the season. Kind of get our thoughts out there. Get a feel for where the two of us stand on a lot of these teams. And the Northwest, we ended with this division for obvious reasons. Um This is a Timberwolves podcast, so we figured why not end with uh, the Timberwolves division. And we will wait for the Timberwolves at the end of this episode. For anybody new listening, we have covered each team in these divisions. Each division has five teams. We've covered them in alphabetical order. So we are going to adjust that ever so slightly, allowing ourselves a little bit of room to put the Timberwolves at the end of this episode. And the Northwest Division, I mentioned it during last week's episode And, you know, I kind of joked about it at the end of the pod that this is the weakest. Well, I won't say weakest. There is the biggest separation between the haves and the have-nots in this division, um, comparatively speaking to the rest of the divisions in the the NBA. Most of the divisions have a certain element of this where you have a team or two at the bottom and two or three teams at the top. This division has two teams that are going to be fighting for the division title and then two teams absolutely racing to the bottom in the Weminiana sweepstakes. And then a, another team that I'm curious to see where the two of us land uh, in Portland.
0: Yeah, it but seems like they're racing to the play-in.
1: Maybe. We'll, we'll get into that. We'll, we'll get oh, into, what, we'll get okay. into what, our, what our thoughts are on Portland. But, um, Rick, I've, I've done this during every episode. Why change it now? This five-team division in the Northwest, broadly speaking, when you were preparing for the pod, Thoughts on this division holistically before we go team by team?
0: Looked at it purely through the spectrum of the Timberwolves, which is, uh, I Here's like I, I, <laughs> um, I like how this is shaking out for the Timberwolves. Uh, it, I would, of the three Western Conference divisions, I would choose this division um, as like the easiest one to get through. Um, and I really think that, barring some type of catastrophic injury and honestly I would need to see I I would need to check what Denver's 23 pick situation is because the Wolves obviously they don't have their picks so even if they suffered multiple injuries to their top guys they'll at least try you know they have no incentive to lose so the interesting thing about this division Dan is I I am sitting here today thinking it's like a greater than 75% chance that the end standings are the ones that you just laid out right there. I, this, this unlike the other five divisions we did feels like it is written in ink. Yes,
1: no, I completely agree. And, and you mentioned, and we could do this with the Eastern conference too, but I'll just stick with the West. The West has two other divisions the Pacific, which we covered. Suns, Clippers, Lakers, Warriors, all teams nope. that are that are, expecting, <laughs> are expecting to be in the playoffs. The Kings are wanting to win games. That's the fifth team. They want to be in the playoffs for sure. Southwest, Grizzlies, Mavs, Pelicans, all three teams that we believe are going to be playoff teams or very competitive teams that expect a lot. They have San Antonio and Houston in their division as well, but that's three teams competing. This is really just the two. This It's really just Denver and Minnesota, and it's how it was last year. Like The the Timberwolves and Nuggets were fighting throughout the season, but especially late for the sixth seed, and Denver squeaked out and got a two-game advantage over the Timberwolves, which led them in the sixth spot, and the Wolves in the seven. But I agree with you. It's about as cut and dry. It is as cut and dry as any division in the NBA, and I want to lead that just right into the Denver conversation, because they're alphabetically going to be the first team. So they were forty-eight and thirty-four last year, two games better than the Timberwolves. We obviously covering. Throw the it out, <laughs> yeah. Throw throw the result r- out. Well, throw it out for. I mean, honestly, both teams, and we'll talk about that for the Timberwolves too. But yes. Denver specifically, because of the injuries. This is a team coming back this year with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. healthy, ready to go. Uh, I read an article the other day. Michael Porter Jr. has no limitations allegedly going into camp. So this team is going to be dramatically different than the team that was thrown out last year. And this team damn near won forty eight games or damn near one hundred and fifty games. So, Rick, do you project with this Denver team, a team you and I, you know, it's it's tough because they're a division rival, but there's not really there's not like a, a huge historic rivalry between the Nuggets and the Timberwolves. So there's no like bad blood. You and I just genuinely love what Denver's done. Yeah, for sure. Do you think number one, I have a two part question. Number one, do you think Tim Connolly's absence will mean anything? Do you think that gives any advantage to the Timberwolves and any deterioration to the Nuggets? Number two, the player side of it. How much better is this team going to be given these guys coming in healthy on day one?
0: So the first one is not this year. Um, And, but if Tim Conley maintains his track record of drafting well and um, really just everything he did well in Denver, um, then yeah, eventually that, that will, that will show itself. But I think this season, no, not really. I think, if tim conley was in denver this offseason um he'd be he would have been hard pressed to have had a better summer i really liked what they did on the margins because that's all they have left they don't have the ability anymore to really reasonably do anything except for you know trading any of their three max guys if they want to go in that direction but other than that they made their big shot trading for aaron gordon which I think this year will show that that was a dynamite trade for them and a absolutely perfect fit next to the rest of the guys. The other moves they made, and so it's funny to call that like an addition. That that happened a year and a half ago, but they really only played the, this starting group or that core four guys with Aaron Gordon as the fourth guy. I don't know how many games they played together. It was not a lot. No. Um, so they're really that group in and of itself is like fairly new. They go out and acquire KCP in a in a move where they swapped out Will Barton and Monty Morris. Amazing trade for them. Um, one of the rare type of just like current value for current value trades. But KCP is about as far as guys they could have reasonably acquired was uh, right at the top of the list. I would I would say. Um, and then, uh, being able to acquire Bruce Brown on the cheap was a fantastic move for them. So the Conley of it all, you know, that, that could prove itself to be a difference maker in the future, but, you know, to, 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 to say it would make a big difference this year would be to have to find something critical about what they did this summer. And I'm having a hard time doing that
1: no and and i just want to add on that kcp trade they also added ish smith who yep a lot of a lot of guys would probably or a lot of people that cover you know watch the sport would probably go like what the fuck does it matter you added ish smith well jamal murray has an injury history so like adding a veteran point guard god forbid you ended up needing somebody to to take over for 10 12 20 games is a big deal like that's a big deal for a team that wants to you know be a deep playoff team. Yeah, and a guy um, like
0: Ish Smith, there's he's he's somewhat similar to again the Tim Rolls here, the Austin Rivers edition, which is you these guys if if every single team in the league was just doing a one off season and just trying to field the best team they could possibly field, a guy like Ish Smith would be, you know, one of the premier backups in the league. Um just going, you know, point guards one through thirty, two through sixty, right? or excuse me, 31 to 60. The problem is not every team is trying to go for it, so you automatically take out a good percentage of the league where they just are straight up not interested in a guy like Ish Smith because he doesn't do anything for their long-term prognosis of the team. So you get guys like that available where he's ostensibly a throw-in in the trade, but you're right. If you need somebody to spot start for you, He's not going to have maybe the explosive moments that they're hoping to get from Bones Highland. But when you're looking for an injury replacement starter, a spot starter, he's somebody that's going to be able to effectively run the offense for them and be solid. I mean, just in general, they've done, a, in my opinion, a very good job of identifying the right type of role players to surround Nikola Jokic with and hopefully the other two guys on the max deals, you know, are able to recover and pull their own weight. Uh, My question for you, Dan, Jokic, obviously, back-to-back MVPs. That, did, did was that, will we look back on this and see that that was actually their window? Um, Or how, how, how much longer can they really expect him to, you know, perform at such a high level? Do you think they should have a lot of urgency to go for it now, or do you think they still should feel like they have, you know, a five-year runway here?
1: I will be able to more effectively answer that question after this season is over. Um, and I will say, the reason I bring that up is Nikola Jokic has had to burden himself in such a severe way over these yes. past two seasons. And if Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. can stay healthy, the burden will lessen significantly over the course of an 82-game season. Now, his workload will obviously still be extremely heavy during a, you know, obviously presumably deep playoff run. But there's – what I like about this team so much, and what we've always liked about this team, is that if they could keep that core four we talked about together – Nikola Jokic can still be an MVP level impact on games, but he is not going to have to—he is not going to have to do nearly what he's done in the past two seasons, where virtually everything ran through him. Um, and I also want to say too about this core four is like Jamal Murray has shown an ability to score the basketball. Obviously, there was that series against uh, against Utah where he was dueling with Donovan Mitchell. Can oh, we do God. a quick
0: pause on that, Dan? Yeah. I think we're we're seeing and this would be somewhat of a concern for me and Mitchell is or excuse me, Murray has come up big in other playoff series. But I think now two playoffs past the bubble, I think we're seeing that the bubble was a pretty anomalous st- situation as far as just shooting in an empty gym.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree with that. Um, but that kind of piggybacks on my next point. So, like, you have Jamal Murray, but it's not reliant on the Jamal Murray return. So much of, of my belief on the window for the Denver Nuggets is going to predicate on health and the development of Michael Porter Jr. Yep. Because Michael Porter Jr. is the type of player that if he's healthy and he continues to develop, the last time we saw him play meaningful, like a meaningful stretch of basketball games, he was fucking fantastic. And... I think this team, especially with Aaron Gordon just being not a throw-in piece, but like one of the elite fourth men. Probably the most elite fourth man. Very elite fourth man. I just think that they're going to have an ability to stretch this window longer now that Jokic likely doesn't have to bear so much of the weight. The issue is, that's counting... Number one, it's counting on Michael Porter Jr., which is a, a pretty fraught... Uh, proposition but jamal murray too man like you you hope that those lower body injuries with guards can be one-offs but we've seen too many times that those things can lead to other things and if this team for whatever reason just can't keep that group together it's going to be very hard so basically my answer is if this season goes off without a hitch relatively speaking I believe that the window could be three, four, five seasons. It seems ridiculous to put any team's window at that length, given how fast things change in the league. But, man, if he still has to bear a ton of weight because guys just can't stay on the floor, then you really need to be urgent about these next two seasons because the dude will just wear down. Anybody would, like especially a big.
0: They Yeah, the, Porter and Jamal Murray have a lot of pressure on them because – and less so Jamal Murray and more so Michael Porter Jr., they were both somewhat speculative max extensions. Um, it, it wasn't the type of situation. It's not a Luca max, you know what I mean? We're like, you've already exceeded this value on your rookie contract. It's a no-brainer for us to give you this deal. The, both of those guys got those contracts and especially Michael Porter with the idea that they would grow into becoming max players, because frankly, at that, you know, he, he was obviously not a max player in, in his, on the course of his rookie deal and Jamal Murray, not really. Although I think he proved to be that guy upon signing the contract. So I think there's, you know, it's not like having Paul George and Kawhi coming back. You know what I mean? Where you're just like, you know, what the level is going to be. It, there's a world where Michael Porter, even if he's healthy, is just not that good relative to what his contract is.
1: Yes, and especially... So this is the other thing. I'm glad you presented it that way because the other thing about Denver is this is a team that has a back-to-back MVP with core pieces of their core coming back from injury. Like this is a team that expects they're uh, ready to go. They're ready to go. Like this is, they, they expect to be a championship contender. So when you bring up Michael Porter jr, you're right. Michael Porter jr. Is going to be graded on the curve of a third best or, or maybe second best player on what is a title team. So if Michael Porter jr. Was coming back from this injury and playing in Washington, if he averaged 20 points a game, it would be looked at as a resounding success. In Denver, he's going to have to be a winning basketball player. Winning basketball. Right?
0: I love that you said that. It doesn't even matter if he scores 20 points a game. Not at all. No, it, and, and that's what I'm... My only remaining
1: concern with the window is Michael Porter Jr. is going to have to be much better defensively, without question. Um, and he's also going to have to be a guy that can do what he does offensively every night. Like, he's going to have to be able to bring that every single night, which is a big, big bet for a guy coming off such a severe injury
0: with so little NBA experience under his belt. And so little experience in high leverage situations. I mean, he's, he's got a little of that shade and sharp in him where he obviously has only really made it through one season, one full season with Denver. And they had a nice, they had a nice playoff run, and he's, had, he's gotten to play in two playoffs. Obviously, he was injured for his entire freshman season, and then we're we're back at high school. So you get to a point with some of these guys, and I think this is one of the aspects of being so cautious about sitting sitting guys when they're injured, although on balance, of course, that's the right thing to do, being overly cautious, um, is you have a guy like that who's really not that much younger than Nikola Jokic, but between Jokic's experience overseas and playing for his national team and all the battles he's gone through in playoffs, it's like a hundred times the amount of real high leverage situations that a guy like Michael Porter has been in. Michael Porter's really, frankly, not really had to play in a serious basketball game that often in his career. It's, it's not that much different than Christian Wood.
1: No, and... And the, the team, especially that front office, this is kind of why I led with the Connolly question, is one of the things that this team is going to have to be able to gauge quickly is as, they, if, as we get later in the season, they're going to have to decide what they believe the window is. Because Michael Porter Jr. either is a winning basketball player now or he's not. And the reality is if you feel like your window is fairly short, let's say you believe it to be two seasons, maybe three if you squeeze it, then this team is going to have to pray that Michael Porter Jr. stays healthy and on the floor and productive enough to be trade bait. Because, or Jamal Murray even for that matter. Like, if they don't think they have the horses to win a championship, they're going to have to be a little bit malleable. Now, if they go through the season and they believe that Nikola Jokic has a lot of gas left in the tank, maybe they're not all that stressed about it and they believe that just internal development over seasons will allow this core to be a title contender but you're really playing with fire. Then, then you have all these variables. You have the injury concern that already exists. You have the window concern that the league puts on you, less the team. Nikola Jokic's possible window as an MVP caliber player. And then you can't ignore the fact that this is also Denver. It's not the Lakers. So your ability to turn this into another title contender with new faces three, four years from now is not feasible.
0: More no, like, it would like, be the only thing at their disposal in that regard would be doing the Rudy Gobert esque trade, and even that.
1: So you're right. That would, but be that's it. a
0: complete pivot. And at that point, I I think that all options have to be on the table because the likelihood of getting another player as good as Nikola Jokic in the next like 20 to 30 years is extremely unlikely. So whatever, whatever is at your disposal, you have to be thinking in those terms, in my opinion. I mean, the, I have zero doubt in my mind that Nikola Jokic is a championship player. It could Me be, too. An, could be a Finals MVP. No question about it. And that's different than even. You know, I have I have some serious doubts that Carl Anthony Towns could be that player or Rudy Gobert could be that player. I have no doubt that Nikola Jokic could be that player. And to me, it's really just a matter of if, if there's a good enough team surrounding Nikola Jokic, I think that team can win the championship. And so the question is, is that this team this season, and if it's not this team this season, will it be within the next couple of years? Because if it's not, then you've really thrown – this year, this is why I think this year is so sneakily urgent. Even though all the messaging out of there is obviously about patience and easing guys in, you can't you can't lose another season of Nikola Jokic at this level. that would be three years of him playing some of the best, one of the best three year stretches in the history of the league. Like we gotta go this year. I completely agree.
1: That's why. You know, when I was trying to think of the teams I'm most excited to watch throughout this season, Denver obviously made the list. Um, it is go time for this team, and I'm going to be watching from day one, and I don't expect it to look great day one, but by game 40, 50, 60 in this season, this this foursome has to look like a formidable title contender. And if they don't, whoever whoever it is that's deficient as part of that core whether it be Jamal Murray, Michael Porter, I doubt it would be Aaron Gordon. But those two specifically, man, like, they have to hit the ground running. I know I've read the same shit you have. Denver is, is preaching patience. But you and I talked about this before the start of last season for the Timberwolves. Like, as soon as you see that you have a potential superstar on your team, the urgency starts the day that you find that out. Like, it does not... You cannot rest... Believing that that can last, and that your window isn't short because everybody's window is short, regardless of the team that we're talking about, so um let's move off denver let's go to uh, Well, do you want to do their number now or do you want to do oh shit, I forgot let's we did their mention number. The number their
0: number is not crazy it's forty nine and a half
1: yeah, it's an easy over for me. I had them at fifty three sure. yeah. um, and i I mean honestly barring injury I mean they just will reach this number they were forty eight last year with devastating injuries. it would have to. I mean, I just, I have a real hard time believing Denver can't stack 50.
0: They have everything to play for also. Um, Correct. They they really, like we were just spent the last uh, bit of this podcast talking about, there needs to be that urgency there. And they've proven, like you've said, to be a, a very good regular season team. And more importantly, a very malleable regular season team that has, Really had to shuffle lineups like few other teams have the last couple of years. So yeah, I believe in this team a lot to the tune of fifty-two for me. But I think they're absolutely a, a number one seed contender this year. Yep, I agree with that.
1: Um, okay, on to Oklahoma City. Uh, this number is a lot lower than Denver's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're at twenty. They're at twenty-six and a half for an over/under. Um, really a bummer to talk about, quite honestly, man. I mean, there's a lot of good here. There's a lot of developmental stories. Um, the Chet Holmgren injury was just, it, it's just devastating. Um, you and I were both very excited to watch Chet play, as a, a lot of NBA fans were. Um, him missing an entire season, especially his rookie campaign, is pretty tough. Um, this team obviously still has SGA. Uh, this team has Josh Giddy coming back in his second season. Uh, breakout star Lou Dork. Um, your
0: forever Darius Baisley,
1: your for your forever project.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I've quit Darius Baisley. A that's fair. Here.
1: That's fair. Uh, no, not a not a good team, not a winning team. Um, they're going to lose a lot of games. Oklahoma City loves losing games, so I think they'll be pretty pleased with the result. Um, it's really just going to be watching a team that throws a ton of young guys on the court to try and see, you know, what you can squeeze out of them and who's going to be part of the long term core. Um, let's just start with that. A lot of young players. Uh, who are the guys on this team that you you are very high on that you have a lot of belief in?
0: well I have a lot of belief in the whole project to be honest, which is a is a switch up from from where I was before they they've just have converted these picks already and they have so many more going forward that I have a a, a belief that they will execute this vision well, and they are the team along with the Orlando magic that is attempting to you know that is forecasting the future of of the league here and thinking that it's about having a bunch of long guys that can play multiple positions do multiple things um not really a team with many guys that project to be specialists really looks like a team you know that's built almost in in like a futuristic clippers type of way where it's like a lot just a lot of ball players um who I like on their group right now, it's very hard to say because they're carrying so many rookies. I think the biggest question for them is going to be, and it's already you know starting a little bit, and I, I kind of think it's mostly a media creation, and really just because there's not any other guys, but I think it is fair to wonder how long SGA could stay on board because that is really the big difference between them and the other teams that have raced to the bottom is they do have a player on a max contract and one that frankly deserves that max contract and um, I think is kind of like a top 20 player in the NBA hiding in plain sight. And so the question, yeah, obviously the upside of this team long term is so much higher if they can convince him to stick around through a couple more tough years, because if you just have him to add to all of these draft picks, they're going to have, like, they're going to build a really good team. Um, The question is just like, will they be able to even do that? Okay.
1: So the SGA thing, let's just cover this real quick. The SGA thing is one of the most confounding things um, that I've seen as a fan of the league. Um, SGA, I agree with you. Like I think he's a top 20 player in plain sight. I believe
0: that he he's a theoretical top 20 player though. That's the thing is because he's really hasn't been playing real games the last few years.
1: Yeah. But to be fair, like you can, I mean, if you turn on an Oklahoma city game and you watch him play, he's really good.
0: He's really fucking good at basketball. Yeah. And so like he's better than Jamal Murray and, uh, and uh, Michael Porter Jr.
1: Yes, he is. And so, but here's my thing with SGA is he just recently gave an interview. I think it was, I think they, it was on, on the athletic and, He said all the right stuff. You know, I knew what I was signing up for. I have complete belief in the franchise. I signed a Max for a reason, like blah, blah, blah. If that's true, if he is really that loyal to this Oklahoma City team and is not going to force his way out, SGA is looking at definitely this year, they're not going to win games. Okay, fine. Just one more season. Okay, fine. Possibly this guy will not play on a team that has any realistic shot at
0: winning games. Until he's, like, 26 years old. Yeah, it's pretty old, man. It's like Carl Towns, honestly.
1: Yeah, and that, to me, is... The reason I say it's unprecedented and something I've never seen, as much as I like him, I actually am starting to really not admire this, like, blind loyalty. Because it's like, okay, man, so what you're telling me, as good as you are, you're just, like... You don't want to compete? You're just, like, cool with maybe never even sniffing the plan until you're 26, like, never playing on a team that wins 36 games until you're 26 years old. Like, with how, especially with guards, like, we, I mean, we just got done talking You just talking don't about know, you. man. You just don't fucking know. Like, I don't know how it is that somebody, his agent, somebody close to him hasn't gotten in his ear and been like, hey, man, I get it, and if we could turn injuries off in life, I could get, I could understand this strategy. You just don't get a guarantee that these years are going to be spent playing basketball you know what I mean like you could get hurt at any moment and are you going to look back at this time spent toiling in Oklahoma City on pitiful teams as just a complete waste of your career like I just I don't know it's starting to get weird for me man I I love him as a player but this situation man if he if he just sticks this out is just bizarre just we'll have to see I
0: mean I think it's very likely that they will take a big jump next season and I think that that seems to be the plan that's kind of the interesting thing is between them, Orlando, and Houston, and Detroit also. Detroit somewhat signaled this with their addition of Bogdanovich. Those teams are all pretty much ready to take a step forward. It just so happens that next year's draft is one that right now is reported to be worth tanking for. And so if you've already done everything those organizations have done, it would be idiotic to not tank this season you know what I mean, in an attempt to push forward. So it's like it really has forced the hand of these teams, and it, and it will probably stretch that relationship to its limits because they th- this whole project is for nothing if you're not going to give yourself the best chance possible to get Wenbinata, you know? And so we know they're going to be bad. My question for you is why is it, that their, their line is significantly higher than Indiana, Houston, and San Antonio's lines. So
1: I think they're getting, not penalized, but I think Vegas is giving them credit because you and I have talked about this. So Mark Dagnall, who is their coach, is, I mean, by all accounts, man, I, I have really liked
0: what he's done. Yeah, very think... sharp. I mean, they are a tough team to play despite being a, the last two seasons a glorified G League team.
1: Yeah, they're just, they, they outkick their coverage so significantly every year. Like, although they lose a shitload of games, when you look at their win-loss at the end of the year, you're like, how did you not win 16 games?
0: Right. You know what I mean? But They, they just, still haven't like, had that
1: season. I know, they just find a way to win more games than you would think they would, so I think Vegas is just hedging that, yeah, man, I mean, on paper they should win 22 for some reason, this team will find a way to fuck around and get to 25, 26, 27 wins. Like, just through pure competence. Like, they're just yeah. more competent.
0: Well, let's let's get... I, I'm going to just go two places, and then we can move on here. Which is, like, can you even take the over, then? Because if you're looking at it from the standpoint of what... Are are there more paths to be over or under? I just don't know how you could you could possibly say, like, I feel confident that they could win 32. 34. You know, it's like, if you want to tell me they're going to win 27 or 28, I'll be, yeah, sure. But those are the only two win totals they can get. Uh, that would be an over. Whereas if you told me they won 18 games, I'd be like, yeah, well, yeah, I could see that.
1: No, Rick, they're not going to win over because they've already proven that they'll shut Shea down. Yeah, They've done it two years in a row. So like they will, especially with the injury to Chet, they have every reason to just want to get in the Wembiniana sweepstakes. So like if, if for whatever reason they're winning more games than they'd like, Shea played 56 games last year. He played 35 games the year before. They'll just shut his ass down. Like that's just what they do. I'm sickened by it. And I kind of, that's been my biggest issue with Oklahoma City over these past couple of seasons. But I want to go back real quick. The point you made about, well, they could, you know, they could take a big step forward next year. Rick, you and I have seen this way too many times. Take Memphis is the most recent example. John Morant is even better than people expected him to be much sooner in his career than people thought, right? Memphis is this plucky upstart yeah, game, of team that wins a ton of games. The first year was a surprise. The second year was a first-round exit. The third year, they finally get into the second round of the playoffs. Even if it goes right, it's not as though you can go from being complete shit To being a team that actually competes. Like the the process takes two, three seasons, even with an elite young core, because they're just going to be too young. So the only way that they make a big leap is if they decide to liquidate some of these picks for a veteran star (laughs) to add to this group that they build in this next draft, coupled with what they've already drafted here uh, these last couple seasons. Like, I just, to me, it looks like the kind of thing where the first year they're competent and actually maybe. Get into the playoffs would be Shay's twenty-six year old season. The first year they could potentially win a series is he's twenty-seven. So to me, it's like I don't know, man. That that just I I just hate that so much because then what he gets? Maybe if everything breaks right, he gets like five prime seasons for yeah, exactly. right a competing <laughs> team. You know, like I just I just think it's going to be a a bizarre career when we look back at it and we go, man, have we ever seen somebody like
0: willing it's to not punt? Ice.
1: For six seasons?
0: like Be that good and be on ice. Yeah. I don't, okay, so I think we can fairly say that Utah and San Antonio are in year zero of their rebuilds. And Houston, OKC, Orlando, and Detroit are in year two of their rebuilds. Yeah. How would you rank that? Rank those teams? Just going forward, like, if you could just pick, if you could, I guess, choose to be a fan of a team— So you feel really good about the situation there, whether it's the guys they already have, you know, the front office and coaches in place, future picks, whatever. Just how would you, how do you rank those four?
1: Um, I would take the certainty. So I would go, I probably put Detroit one with Oklahoma city, a close second. Mm -hmm. I trust Oklahoma city more because historically I, I really respect what they've done. Um, but I, I mean, Detroit just has more NBA ready pieces. Um, so I, I just know kind of what Detroit is. Um, Oklahoma City is still very hypothetical. So I'd probably go Detroit one, Oklahoma City two, and then after that, man, it doesn't really matter. I don't really trust any of the the remaining rebuilds. And again, they're year zero teams. I just
0: it's too soon to it's tell. It's too we soon just to won't tell. Know. Yeah,
1: and and you know my feelings on Houston. I, I
0: really am in very low on what Houston's doing. doing. Yeah, wow. Well, we'll see. The fun thing about that is one of. It's not a guarantee, but it's very likely that one of those teams will be among the best teams in the league about, like, five years from now. And so yeah. it's very and it's it's very rarely the team that people circle right away. Uh, we can, you know, raise our hands here um, about how jealous everybody was of the Timberwolves after Carl Towns' first season. People forget about that, but <laughs> yeah. they're, like, considered to be the future of the league. Obviously, it, nothing is guaranteed in this league, which also goes to your point about SGA. All right, so we're both we're both hard-unders there yeah. and feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I'm pretty locked in on that.
1: Um, let's go to Portland. Uh, Portland has... I'm going to kick it to you. I see this... It's a forty, forty and a half win over-under. I find that inexplicably high, personally. <laughs> I agree. Um I honestly, when I looked at that number, I double-checked it. Because I was like, that cannot be the number. It sure shit is the number. And please help guide me. You just talked about this with every team that we've covered. You said, how many opportunities is there for this team to go under? How many opportunities, how many paths are there for this team to go over? Explain to me what this team is if they, let's say, comfortably clear that over. Let's say they're a 42-plus win team. What is this? What are, I just,
0: I, I, just don't know to be honest because I don't look at this as a team that really has much of a path to being a top five to ten offense in the league. And then on the other side of that, I don't really see them having a path to even getting to like fifteenth in defense. I mean, their defensive personnel is horrible. It's got to be terrible. Got to be the worst of all the teams that are really attempting to win this season. So I don't know. I'm pretty flummoxed by the line. I mean, you could you could tell me that you feel like there could be a slight over there because of all of the incentive they have to win, Dame's history. But we've also seen that teams with Dame playing at an extremely high level can top out at around this range. Uh, that did happen a couple of times in the C.J. McCollum era. It wasn't just an endless parade of four seeds. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really like this team. I really th- feel like that Anthony Simons... When we talk about a speculative contract, I, I thought that Anthony Simons' contract didn't get as much scrutiny as it deserves because, to me, that has the potential to just be a complete albatross. I, I, I'm not positive that he is a good player on a good team. And I'm certain that you cannot advance far with him as the backcourt mate to uh, to Dame Lillard. So I, I really don't like the team. I like some of the individual pieces that they have as far as young guys. But, you know, to me, especially because they have such a commitment from Dame, I don't really see why they shouldn't, you know, maybe join the ranks of the tanks here because they they do have some young guys that are interesting. It's just that that is, to me, if you were to just look at it and say, what is the most appealing path that they could take, it would be that for me. And we know they're not going to do that, so therefore, I'm not very high on their presence.
1: No, I the reason I don't understand this, Rick, is, so Dame, you and I both agree that there's going to be regression with Dame. Like, the the Dame era of him being a superstar, I, I, maybe I'm speaking for you, I believe has passed. I agree. Um, so then you go down this roster and you go, okay, so you brought back Nurkic. You and I have always liked Nurkic. He is an, a off, he's an offensive first sender who does not defend the rim and is aging rapidly. He did yes. not look like himself the last time he was playing basketball. And post-injury, you can't imagine it's going to look any better. Then you're left with Anthony Simons. You mentioned him. You have Jeremy Grant at the four, and you have Nas Little at the three. This kind of goes back to something we mentioned in a couple of the early division breakdowns where it's like, it's just not good enough. Like, no. not close to good enough. So, like, 40 and a half would lead me to believe that you think this team is likely going to land somewhere between, like, 38 and 42. That's, like, kind of the projection. You land somewhere in between it. And I'm like, okay, well, who, who is this team beating consistently?
0: Like well, I that's keep- the really interesting thing, Dan, is they don't... You're right, like, they don't have enough just from a talent point of view. But they also don't have, like, great fitting pieces that will make them better than the sum of their parts. You know, like, that that starting lineup you laid out there is is nonsense. I mean, if you t- took any one of those groups, so let's just say you start with those two small guards, the rest of the guys that are starting are not the types of players that you would pick if you were trying to build a team around small guards. Same with they have those rugged wings that are, you know, pretty robotic offensively, but, you know, versatile, big-bodied wings okay, well, if you're building a team or, and those two guys were a given, you want to compound them and just play them with a bunch of them. You know, they're, they're having to play like these very conventional positions because they have Nurk, who's a center only, Dame, who's a point guard only. Frankly, Simons should also be a point guard only if we're talking about defense. And so it, I just the pieces don't even fit together in a way that I, I could be like, yeah, but they're going to be better than some the of their parts.
1: Well, yeah, and I think the other thing to bring in mind, you mentioned the C.J. McCollum era. The thing about Anthony Simons is when he was at his quote-unquote best, the most productive he was offensively, it was with the ball in his hands. There is no proof that Anthony Simons is a C.J. McCollum-type player off the ball. So it's like you have two guys in the backcourt that, to this point, you cannot make the argument that one of them is going to be able to really effectively play off the ball. And as I go through the rest of this roster, too, I go, no, man, they're – Here's what you have. You have a team that's going to win too many games to be a high lottery team. Like, they're not going to be part of the tanking crew that's, that's really aggressively attacking the top of the draft. But you sure as shit don't have enough to compete with the top, what, 11 teams in the West? Like, it just, I don't know. It doesn't make much sense to me. And again, like, I don't know how much of this is placating Dame and just now that he's back from injury and aging, trying to put the best team they can around him for a couple more seasons before he's more of just like a figurehead. I I don't know what this is, but I I don't like it at all. I hammered the under. I had them at thirty wins.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I I, I think this is would be something of a best bet here. I would absolutely run to place this bet. Um, and yeah, I I I have them comfortably under that. I, I I I'm higher on Sacramento for this season than them.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too um another fun thing to watch just for this upcoming season is uh Shaden sharp is he in the rotation and what does he look like um
0: so that that'll be fun
1: I, I kind of want to see if Shaden oh, sharp I'm excited
0: does. about that I mean yeah uh, Me well, too. we need to move on but I am excited about Shaden sharp okay so Utah is the next team
1: um <laughs> twenty six and a half is the number for them too too high <laughs> uh yep yep way, way too, too high. high. <laughs> Uh, this is going to be likely again, moves, moves are likely to continue. Um, apparently in, in recent reporting, Jared Vanderbilt is untouchable in Utah. So they, they do like Jared Vanderbilt. Um, it's going to be a Colin Sexton show. Uh, they still do have Mike Conley, Malik Beasley. Um, it, they have Jordan Clarkson still on the roster. So, I mean, there's like, there's some stuff probably coming. Like we predicted when we talked about the Donovan Mitchell trade when it happened. Um, but this team is going to aggressively try to lose games. They've made it abundantly clear in the moves they've made, the messaging from the franchise. And good for them because they should. I mean, this is what a team in a market like Salt Lake City should do. As soon as you've determined that your, your core you tried to build a championship out of doesn't work, you completely tear it down. Um, and then you start fresh and try again. But very odd team. Um, to be honest with you, man, outside of... You know, flipping over just to see kind of what rotations look like. Not interested in watching this team play basketball this season.
0: I'm not. I think I have two tickets for their. I <laughs> think I have two <laughs> of their games this year. Unfortunately, um, yeah. I mean, they they know what they're doing. Uh, and they really quickly were able to get a stockpile of draft picks that rivals OKC now. So, so they're well on their way. They they are this is an interesting experiment between them and OKC. They are two teams that probably believe that they, their organizations are not a tanking type of organization. And so they're doing it the smart way, you know, like a lot of these other teams like Houston, for example, we don't know if the coach and the GM are really going to be there, you know, five years from now, same with Orlando, same with Detroit. Um, but with OKC and Utah, that's the interesting thing to me about those two teams is their organizations are pretty well put together, especially OKC. And the, the question is, what, do you, what happens if you give two teams like that all that ammo? What are they going to do with it? Um, the answer for this year for Utah, man, is there's not much to talk about. And I'm, I'm prepared to just say, hey, we're going to both take the under and we'll move on.
1: Yep, totally comfortable with that. Um, Finally, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Hometown Timberwolves. Uh, The podcast was predicated on talking all season about this team. I'm sure you watched uh, a lot of the media day uh, interviews
0: that took place with the team and and the coaching staff. Yeah, all all of them, to be precise.
1: Yeah, and so this number for the Timberwolves going into the season is... 47.5, 47.5, two wins shy of the Denver over-under. And you and I have kind of mentioned this throughout the offseason that we are, are extremely excited for a multitude of reasons for the season to start. And one of those reasons is you and I believe, for the most part, uh, the national media that covers the NBA has just really missed the mark <laughs> on how they've covered the Rudy Gobert trade, um, covered what this team is, is going to be or potentially could be going into the season, and how real things are going to be for Minnesota this season. Um, coming out of media day, having an opportunity to digest everything that's come out uh, leading up to training camp. Kind of, what are the what are some of the headline pieces, biggest takeaways that you've had?
0: this is unlike any team that you and I have cheered for in our entire lives, as far as the depth of competent to star level individuals in their roles front office coaches players it's it's if if i couldn't read wolves on their t-shirt i wouldn't believe that it was them you know what i mean and so and that's where when you talk about like people missing the mark nationally i think that they don't see what we're seeing which is like everything is lined up, ownership, front office management, coaching players, and has a synergy that combined with the amount of talent that's on the team, when you have an organization like that, that's, those teams win. And they win a lot, like, to me, with the amount of talent they have on the team, if they had a clown show organization like they did two years ago, I would, I would still pick the over at this number. You know what I mean? Uh, yes. It, it's a ridiculously low number. Yeah,
1: I like that you've, you you uh, you mentioned organizational competence from the top down. What I think too is you know continuity and and Chris Finch was asked about this during his interview and and uh, how important continuity was and what he wanted to drag over from last year's team to this year, um, in terms of the things that worked and. You can tell in the interviews, like, there was a lot of change this offseason. There was the Rudy Gobert trade, obviously. That was the player change, the primary one, and the Kyle Anderson acquisition, stuff like that. There was obviously a front office change with Conley coming in and replacing Sachin Gupta and bringing well, in his so own group. also is still there. Yeah, who, <laughs> Sachin Gupta is part of that group, yeah. and um, And what I took away from it was that, like, they've kind of methodically, over a period of a couple of seasons built this thing out so it's not as though it was thrown together overnight it's not that everybody's coming in and having to figure shit out on the fly it's kind of a lot of the pieces are have already been there it's really just almost fortifying a very strong existing structure is the way that i see it
0: well Um, that was so interesting dan about the way these new guys talked um and yeah, it is a very new team, and they will get a lot of contributions, obviously, from Rudy, but just guys that have come to the team. But unlike in years past, we are not importing our culture from these additions. Yes. it. It All of them felt like we are joining this team, and this team does things a certain way, and we're, that is was something that was attractive to us. And we are, we are the new people here and we are just looking to fit in, in a way that is completely foreign to me as a Timberwolves fan.
1: Yeah, I I felt the same way. I noticed that, especially when I listened to the Austin Rivers presser. Um, and And I will say this too. You and I have always mentioned that, and, and obviously we talked about this with Denver, but historically we've talked about this during our offseason pods with every team that believes they're they're a competing team, you know, a deep playoff team, a 50-win regular season team, is the moves they traditionally make are on the edges because most of your core has already been paid and is already established. So really what you have the flexibility to do is moves around the edges. What the Timberwolves did this offseason in adding Austin Rivers' and Kyle Anderson, and retaining Torian Prince. You mentioned just like a level of competence. Brent Forbes. Bryn Aaron Forbes. Kaskill. Yeah, it's like they just brought in so many guys that are established players, That f- and, and you can envision the fit that they have with this existing group. Traditionally, man, you and I, having been Timberwolves fans forever, it was always like, if they're willing to come to us, we will sign them, figure out fit and role later. These additions were very different where it was like Kyle Anderson fits like a fucking glove. That's exactly the type of player that we need on this roster given the pieces that exist. Austin Rivers, another perfect example of this, the retention of Torian Prince and Bryn Forbes, you know, just kind of like an extra shooter. It was just like you could tell this was such a clear and thought out plan where all these pieces were just puzzle pieces that they clearly knew that they needed and they fit really well. I've seen this with teams forever in the league. I've just never seen it with a Timberwolves team. Like this is not the type of off season no. that I'm I'm used to seeing. Oh, uh, never. Yeah, team, it's it's never.
0: very different even than, you know, it's it's when they acquired Jimmy Butler, Jeff Teague, and Taj Gibson, which was objectively, you know, it might even on balance be bigger than this summer, you know. Sure. But the vibe was very different. The vibe, like I said, of that was we are importing our culture from you guys. We very much need you guys to come in here and usurp the people that are already here. Um, and, you know, I have a lot more thoughts on that, obviously that we can talk about as the season starts that the other part, and I think this is the, a good place to take it. Another reason why the media is missing the mark here is they are believing only one of these things is true. But the way I'm going to lay this out for you, Dan, I think you need to either believe both of these things are true or neither of them are true. Um, and I think the media is doing one of one, which is the media has fallen in line now and has anointed Anthony Edwards as being one of the best future players in the league. Yes. Sir. That'd be fair to say. They finally, they've, they finally have recognized that. But they also don't have the Timberwolves as being impacted materially wins and losses by that happening. So to me, very clearly, if Anthony Edwards is the player that the media and you and I believe he is, therefore the team is going to have a certain level of success, which will also validate his statistic rise. I don't see how it could be possible that, for example, in the ESPN rank, they had Anthony Edwards at 25 this year. I don't see how it could be possible for him to be the 25th best player at age 21 and for this team to just be about as good as they were before.
1: That's, you're, you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head with why I found this number to be so preposterous, is how can you look at this team and the performance last season, which was a 46-win team last year, believe that Anthony Edwards is going to take a leap See that they added the defensive player. Of the they year. also added Rudy Gobert. Yeah, it's like, and you're like, okay, yep. I think I think about a win and a half seems right. I just I can't compute it. I don't understand. and again, we'll get to what our what we actually predict for the real number to be. But if it's anything sub fifty, I need you to I need you to walk me through how you got there because I think I think that there will be a lot of flawed logic. If you believe that this team is going to land south of fifty when it comes to overall wins, I just yeah, can't see and, it.
0: And, and if somebody was to say, "Well, I just don't actually think Anthony Edwards is that good. Um, I don't think, and I don't think he's ready to be that good this soon," then if somebody said that, I'd be like, "Yeah, okay. Well, you know what? That makes that isn't that's a good reason why you would be under if you believe that." But to yeah, to be like, no, I think Anthony Edwards is a star he'll probably make all-star this year. it's like, okay, well, if he does that and then you know it's just like it just doesn't make any sense um but yeah the team is is put together really well I mean I guess Dan, my question for you because we've we've thought so much about this this team and in really every which way is is there anything? particular to this over-under podcast here that you want to get to to the team? Because I feel like I could go on a million tangents, but I want to try to find something that's like relevant to over-unders. Okay, so
1: the reason that I think this is such a clear over, and I'll, uh, I'll answer your question fairly directly. So when I look at this group, the reason I'm so high on this particular team and I'd like to tell you that it's not because I'm a Timberwolves fan, but that does play into it. <laughs> it is, plays
0: into it. Full disclosure. Yeah.
1: Basketball is two sides of the court, right? We all understand. We have offense and we have defense. It's like, okay, so defense. You look at this team and you go, all right, so D'Angelo Russell, weak defender. Carl Anthony Towns, historically a pretty weak defender. It's like, okay, fine. Jade McDaniels, good defender. Rudy Gobert, best defender. And <laughs> best a, defender. And a rim protector. So, like... And then you have Anthony Edwards, who... Good defender. Good defender, who talks as though he wants to be fucking great at that side of the floor. It's like, okay, so three of your five have the potential to be not only just above league average, but like potentially elite-level defenders at their position. Okay, perfect. Well, then that's going to equate to a really good defensive team. Yes. So then you go, okay, go to the offense. And it's like, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell in pick and roll. Jaden McDaniels and his development and Rudy Gobert is a rim running big. It's like, well, that team is going to be fucking stacked on offense.
0: Yeah. I don't know where we're missing it on that part because I'm not even, I'm not necessarily hearing that from other people in the media. There seems to be much bigger questions about the offensive fit. And to the extent that they, you know, you even hear some people say that they could be average or below average and I, I really, I'm with you, I don't see how that's possible with the amount of talent that's there. I mean, we're just looking at Portland, who, in order to even hit their number, they're going to have to be a top 10 offense. And you just look at their starting lineup and you go, no way, there's not enough talent here. Um,
1: Rick, they averaged the most points per game in the league last year. Yes. So like, so this is what I'm saying, is like, to, t- to talk about the over-under, it's like, so I believe they're going to have a very high-end defense likely in the top 10. I believe they're going to have a very high-end offense likely in the top 5. Yes. And then you look at depth and you go, all right, they've developed Jordan McLaughlin, who got a shitload of love last year, plus Austin Rivers as an addition. Okay, that's your that's your point guard depth with D'Angelo Russell. Jalen Noel, you believe, is going to develop. But even if maybe, let's say, he isn't what you think he is, you have Torian Prince, who can play some play a bit of that role if, if needed. You have Kyle Anderson, who you added, who's a great backup for. Nas Reed, who proved himself. So, like, as you go through the roster, you're like, so explain to me where there's these, like, glaring weaknesses, these huge holes. Because I honestly can't see a fucking one. No. So I just... So that's part of the reason, too, that, like, I don't... I don't want to speak in hyperbole, but, like, the idea that this team... You, I mean, I, you called for it, maybe on a podcast, maybe off a podcast. But you, you mentioned you're like, I have this team being the one seed in the West.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like,
1: and I have them as the one seed in the West. Like, I yes. have them as a 55, 56-win team, somewhere in that range. Yep. And it's not and even... And I frankly think they could even go higher. I agree. And that's that's part of why this season... Because, again, there's two parts to the national coverage. The first part is making people eat their words in the regular season. But even people who have been kind of critics of this team have hedged wisely to be like, well, I mean, sure, you could win a bunch of regular season games. Well, what right. happens in the playoffs? So, like, there's two parts to it. It's like, number one, you need to win a ton of regular season games, get home court, prove yourselves to be a true contender. And then in the playoffs, you're going to need to be able to back that up as well. But my point last year was like that Memphis series, obviously, everybody watched it. it was It was a great matchup. But to be fair, like the Timberwolves had their number the entire fucking time. A big part of that development for young players is going through that exact experience, a la Memphis two years ago, to be able to finally win a playoff series. And then I keep coming back to this point, and they added fucking Rudy Gobert. Yeah, man. So I'm like, even just natural development with no additions, I would have been like, no, I think this is a team that's going to win a playoff series. Now that you add Rudy Gobert, I'm like, how the... I just, I don't know, man, I I feel like I'm like taking crazy pills a little bit with this thing because it just, my belief in the team, it can't all be personal fandom. Like this has to be real. I don't think I'm missing it.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I'm, I'm, I'm eager to find out. No, let me, let me rephrase that. I'm eager to be validated here and have it be proven right by the team. Um, I want to ask this because, all right, so we're both hard overs on the team. We've now done every single team in this exercise, which for me, just talking this out with you has, if I was to now just do the numbers over under numbers, I'd probably do it differently because uh, we had the time to have these conversations. Through the course of this exercise, doing all six divisions, what team has improved itself most in your estimation and then which team do you have like a lower opinion on it since we've done this? So if there's a
1: couple of teams, so a couple that I'm even higher on after kind of speaking it through with you was Philly is a team I'm even higher on than I was when we did this exercise. And then probably Dallas, like, even though I hit the over, like I'd probably even add some more wins to Dallas. The teams that I have even more questions on than when I did the exercise myself is they're both Eastern Conference teams. It's Chicago and Charlotte.
0: Yeah. It. Those those two and teams in Portland. Are... Honestly, talking about uh, Portland. Portland. One. Yeah, Portland. Portland. Yes, I agree with that too. What about you? I think those teams. I think two teams that really, you know, came out well. Um, and made and just like figuring out what their narrative and arc was going to be this season made me realize I hadn't been thinking about them in those terms. And that Denver, doing Denver tonight, um, and kind of just, you know, because they get lumped in with the other contenders. But when you actually get into the uniqueness of them, you realize this season is way more important to them than perhaps some of the other teams that are in that contender tier. And then the other team was the Pelicans, and they're you know not entirely similar to the timberwolves, but somewhat similar from the standpoint of they're making this huge addition. They should be they're building on some success they found at the end of last year. It should just be all things pointing up. and so why is it that there's that hesitation still from people to to really pick them to win a lot? They improved a lot in my estimation.
1: No, it's a really good one actually. I felt even better about them when I saw the pictures out of media day. Oh, my I was god, like, dude. god damn this team. <laughs> like it's, it feels like it should be a 50-win team. I you know, and honestly what this exercise did for me too, Rick, I was doing that way too many times. You know what I mean? Oh, like
0: <laughs> there's a lot of 50-win teams this year. There's a lot
1: of 50-win teams. And that's the thing is like it's amazing, you know, I was listening uh Simmons had this this funny thing that he did on his podcast with Windhorse uh, that he released today where they were they talked the Lakers basically the entire time and LeBron. And, uh, but one of the things he mentioned is he's like he was mentioning kind of the the hue that gets placed on a player if they go to certain teams and he was like last season the Celtics were desperately for weeks trying to unload Dennis Schroeder on somebody like desperately trying to get him out and Houston finally bit in the 11th hour only because they were willing to take on the Tice contract. And he was like, but now all of a sudden the narrative coming out when Schroeder goes to the Lakers is that this is like a really savvy move. And he's like, the league didn't want him anymore. You know what I mean? Like, what are we talking about? So I just have gotten increasingly, and we talked about this. I mean, neither of us were high on the Lakers, but I've even gotten more bearish on the Lakers as the days have passed since we did that podcast. Yeah, I just, it's a rough, rough roster. I just don't see it. And I, I feel like it could be, you know, I mentioned this on the podcast and probably should have hammered it home more. Like you mentioned that the Pelicans could be a 50 win team. When I think about that, I go, yeah, they would fucking murder the Lakers. Yes. Like, and, and that's one of those things where when you look at the the Pelicans team, you're like, shit, man, even if they're really good, like that team could land anywhere from like, you know, maybe four to seven, four to eight, somewhere in that range. And if that's what we think of a team as loaded as the Pelicans, the Lakers are in a lot of fucking trouble. So that's the other team I would... Yeah, the Lakers
0: and the Blazers just do not stack up with the rest of those teams talent-wise. And to to think about the Lakers and, you know, we talked about Denver tonight and thinking about how solid the Clippers organization is, there, there's... They, I just don't think that they're the caliber of of organization that can get by in a league this stacked. Like I don't know if at this point it's going to be possible for a team to amass so much talent that the rest of the organization just doesn't matter, like basically yes. what the Nets were trying to do. I just think to win a championship in this upcoming season, which to me projects to be going into a season, this is the most loaded uh, the league has been since we've really paid attention to things like that. To win the championship this year, I think you, to even just separate yourselves, you need to be clicking on all cylinders. um, Yes. Ownership down.
1: Yeah, and I also think, you know, we bring this up, on a lot of podcasts, we talk about not wanting to project for injuries. Traditionally, when we say that about, about teams that have really high aspirations, we're like, well, you know, their their best player can't get hurt. Or maybe, you know, in the in the case of Milwaukee last year, like, well, Chris Middleton got hurt. Who knows what happens if he's healthy? I actually think with how loaded this league is, like teams actually have to be super concerned that like their third best guy doesn't go down. You know what I mean? Just because it is there is so much talent at the top of the league and i don't see that there's a ton of separation between the top of the a lot of these teams so like to your point about needing to click i still think there's a ton of teams that have all those things they have continuity they're clicking on all cylinders they have the right people in the right position but when everybody's that tight at the top like this isn't college football like when everybody's that tight at the top it could be your third best guy goes down and that's enough that's enough of a separator to keep you from your ultimate goal which has never been the case. Like traditionally, title teams, you just have to worry that your best guy doesn't
0: get hurt. I think this yeah. is going. This again. Be... This season is the season, um, and I think it's it's the season in a way that the 2016 season was the last time everything kind of crested this way, and there was this much talent and continuity. We haven't had a seat, and then obviously, you know, the balance of the league changed when Kevin Durant then moved. To from one of those contenders to another, um, I think it's taken since then to get to a point where stars are distributed in such a way and there's an influx of young talent and these old guys are hanging on longer. I think it's taken since then to come to a season where I think truly that whoever's, you know, it's dumb to do the thing where you're like, how much is a championship worth? Uh, but this season, I feel like this season is going to hold a lot of weight. Yes, I completely
1: agree. And Rick, this was unplanned. We're going to do this in hopefully five minutes, but we're going to freelance here for a minute because this is something I wanted to text you about today and didn't have the opportunity to. Um, so one of the quotes that came out of Media Day, this is out of Brooklyn, and <laughs> you and I had had a conversation on the phone no more than a week ago where we talked about Ben Simmons, right? And one of the things we talked about is, like, most players, they're not a complete player, so they do certain things that, let's say, an A level, but then they have other aspects of the game that maybe they're, like, a C at. Ben Simmons is one of those rare players that, like, the discrepancy between what he does well and does poorly is so vast that what he does poorly, he's essentially a zero at, right? This has been covered at length. And one of the things I brought up to you is I was like, it just doesn't seem like the league is, is really built to have a guy paid like he is with the role that he will likely have that can that can have an aspect of his game that week. Like, I just don't think that can right. be possible. Well, Nash, Steve Nash had a quote today that says, he doesn't care if Ben, Shim, ben Simmons ever shoots.
0: Yep. Which
1: is alarming to me for two reasons. Number one, it steps on the point that I made to you on the phone, which I think that's just (laughs) not, I just think that's not fucking true. Like, I don't care if he shoots six times a game. I agree with you. He doesn't need to be a high-volume guy. You cannot be, you have to be at least somewhat of a threat to put the ball in the fucking basket, like, period. The second thing is, for him to say that, the way I read that is I'm like, oh, are we already in, like, the protect Ben Simmons mode? I think like that's before, it before training camp is even fucking started.
0: I think that's where we are. I think it was just a coaching
1: move, <laughs> which is just i I just got such a good laugh out of that man. I was
0: like, Come on, Steve it's like, come on, man like well, and that's where for me, like them and the circus that's there and with the Lakers it's like how could you how could we expect these teams to be able to compete with the Clippers, the Mavs, you know, the Sixers, the Nuggets, like these teams where they don't have any of this clownery, they don't have any of the drama, their high end talent is just as good. It's like, how could you, they, like, these teams aren't going to be able to compete.
1: No. And I just, I find it so odd. The, The situation with Ben Simmons, no matter, you know, no matter where it's been, I find it so odd. Because, you know, we mentioned very briefly on, on last week's or the last podcast we released, we mentioned that there was all this NBA news at the time. And one of them was, you know, he had gone on JJ's pod that you and I both listened to. And we were like, yeah, it seems like a good guy. You know, it seems like a cool guy. But this whole thing where coaches and organizations feel the need to bubble wrap this guy. And then on top of that, like we still, this is like what, you you know, our dads used to complain about in like the 90s and early 2000s where they're like, why can't Shaquille O'Neal shoot a fucking free throw? The guy's going to go to the free throw line a million times. Why can't he just make a free throw? It's like, it's that, it's like the new age version of that where it's like Ben Simmons, you can't, you can't hit a jump shot. For real, for real, a jump shot, we can't do it at all because that's the whole thing here is like, this season, I'm fascinated by Brooklyn for a lot of reasons. But the Ben Simmons thing, man, it's another one of those oddities in the league where it's like a zero. You're this talented, you're this gifted in so many ways, you're just going to be a zero at that thing. Like, not even remotely competent. I just can't believe that.
0: <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, you're right. It is, it is somewhat hard to believe. You know, As you were saying that, I was sitting there thinking to myself, if I had four years... Because you know it's been it's been clear that this is a problem. Like he wasn't going to be able to be the player we all hoped he was unless he was going to address this. That was apparent like after his first year. I was just thinking to myself like Dan, if we had four years and the entire goal of it was to be good at shooting, at the end of those four years, I just feel like I feel like I'd be pretty fucking good at shooting. I don't know. Yeah, dude.
1: Or and that's that's kind of my point. Like this weirdness with him. And I honestly. I hope because you and I are big Ben Simmons fans, both for him, us as fans in the league in general, and his team. I hope this can be put behind him by just him like shooting a little bit, like just a little bit, like that way well, we can it, stop Dan, fucking Dan, doing this. be like
0: if if like the GM of the team was like, no, I don't do trades. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like, well, that's that's like that's one of the main parts of what you're doing here. It's just like I don't do them. I'm amazing at free agency in the draft. <laughs> Unbelievable at it. But I will not do a trade. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm absolutely a zero at a trade. It's like, well then what are we talking about at this point? Yeah, no, that that's
0: anyway, it's I just funny. To... It's like they somebody was talking about it with Ben Simmons asking him to learn how to shoot as if they're being like Yeah, they, they're also asking uh Ben Simmons to like do the bookkeeping here. It's like yeah, exactly. like it's like they're asking him to do something beyond his purview as a as an employee there. It's like this is a, it,
1: that's what he does. Dude, that's my point. We I know you watched the clips. When Rudy Gobert played in FIBA for France, I saw him take a few threes. Yeah he shot. Yeah. Like for fuck's sake, Ben Simmons. Like you can shoot the basketball. Like it's just anyway, the fact that he came out and we haven't even gotten into the throes of training camp and he's like, nah, don't care if he ever shoots. It's like okay okay. I Yeah.
0: I wish we could do For the cover art for this episode, a a Photoshop of, like, Ben Simmons uh, as a bookkeeper. (laughs) Just
1: sitting behind a desk, pouring over (laughs) spreadsheets. (laughs) Oh, my God. Anyway, all right, we'll wrap. That's the end of The Division Over Unders. This was a fun series. We'll do it every year. Uh, We have a few weeks before the season starts, so we're going to get on probably this weekend. We've got a couple other things that we'll... Yeah, we'll later. figure it out. Yeah, we'll do some off-season stuff before the before the games tip, but uh good to talk to you man and we'll uh, touch base this weekend.
0: All right, take care man.